This morning, God's Word comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be reading just the verses 8 through 14 of this chapter. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. What we hear now is God's word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher." which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 93 in the back section. This is uh, Canons of Dort, Head of Doctrine 1. And at this time, I'm just going to read Article 7. I'll be referring to the uh, Articles uh, 8, 9, and 10 a little bit later, but I'm going to read just Article 7 at this point. That's on page 93 in the back of the Psalter. Head of Doctrine 1, Article 7. Election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby, before the foundation of the world, He has, out of mere grace according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chosen from the whole human race, which had fallen through their own fault from their primitive state of rectitude into sin and destruction, a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ, whom he from eternity appointed the mediator and head of the elect and the foundation of salvation." This elect number, though by nature neither better nor more deserving than others, but with them involved in one common misery, God has decreed to give to Christ to be saved by him, and effectually to call and draw them to his communion by his word and spirit, to bestow upon them true faith, justification, and sanctification, and having powerfully preserved them in the fellowship of his Son, finally to glorify them for the demonstration of his mercy and for the praise of the riches of his glorious grace. As it is written, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love, having foreordained us unto adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has freely bestowed on us in the beloved. From Ephesians chapter 1. And elsewhere, whom he foreordained, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. From Romans chapter 8. Well, last week uh, we began a new series of sermons on uh, one of our doctrinal standards, uh, the Canons of Dort. Remember I told you kids, when you hear me say Canons of Dort, uh, don't think, first of all, about big guns. Uh, Don't think about a college in northwest Iowa, but think about a book. When I say Canons of Dort, think about a book, a book with five chapters. Because that's what we're talking about, the Word of God revealed to us in the Canons of Dort. Now, I guess it's, it's okay um, to call this series a series in the Canons of Dort, but that does tend to, to focus our minds on a particular time in history and a particular place. Um, a better title for this series is simply a series on the doctrines of grace. The way in which God brings His grace to His people. We're talking about some of the most fundamental, basic truths of the Christian faith, God's grace coming to us. These these doctrines live throughout the Scriptures. We can read of God's electing love many places in Scripture. They're, They're systematized for us. They're brought together in the canons of Dort, but it's a biblical truth that we talk about once again this morning. Perhaps it's helpful to know a little bit of the historical background for when and why the canons were written. Uh, Maybe if you took a history class, a church history class, or a Bible study, uh, at some point you've heard the name Jacob Arminius. Uh, Arminius was a Dutchman, and if that wasn't bad enough, he was also a theologian. So uh, Arminius was a, a professor at the University of Leiden. And Arminius began to have some questions about the biblical doctrine of salvation. Uh, By this time, of course, the Belgic Confession had been written. And in Belgic Confession, Article 16, we read that election is based out of God's mere goodness. Election is out of God's mere goodness, his love and his care for his people. And Arminius began to question that. Arminius died in 1609, but his followers and his ideas did not die. His followers, called the Remonstrants, began to challenge, to attack the biblical doctrine of election. And they did that by writing five statements what they thought election was about. Five statements from the Arminians, five statements from the Remonstrants. Uh, The churches, to deal with these statements, these questions, called a synod. 
A synod is a meeting of church leaders. They were called together in 1618 in a city called Dortrecht. And that synod, that meeting, would last for about six months to deal with these five questions, these five statements from the remonstrance, uh, these Arminian positions. So while, while we call the, docu the document Canons of Dort, the, the real title of the document is The Decisions of the Synod of Dort on the Five Main Points of Doctrine in Dispute in the Netherlands. The canons are, are, are five answers to five Arminian statements about salvation and election. Uh, these five points are sometimes referred to as the five points of Calvinism. Now, you know that really is not a good name for them. Uh, children, Calvin, John Calvin, did not write the Canons of Dort. Uh, John Calvin did not read the Canons of Dort. Calvin had been dead for over 50 years when the canons were written, but somehow they have the name the Five Points of Calvinism. I, I, I suppose that is because they do embrace uh, Calvin's biblical understanding of the nature of our salvation. So they certainly do uh, align themselves with, with Calvin's understanding of Scripture, but the five points of Calvinism, probably not the best name for them. Also, it tends to limit Calvinism to five points dealing with salvation. But Calvin's understanding of Scripture is much broader than that. The Reformation was much broader than that. Uh, perhaps at, at times you've gone to, to uh, uh, Bible churches which say that they are Reformed. And, and you, you, you walk in and you worship with them and you say, well, this, this doesn't seem, it's a little bit different than what we think of as a Reformed church. And you say, well, I thought you guys were a Reformed church. Well, we, we believe in the five points of Calvinism. We believe in Calvin's doctrine of salvation. And they miss the fact that Calvin's understanding of Scripture talked about a wholehearted response to God, not only our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, but our ecclesiology, the way church runs having elders, having ministers, reformed worship. All of these things are part and parcel of Calvin's understanding of Scripture. And so to call these the five points of Calvinism limits Calvinism simply to our understanding of salvation and the doctrines of grace. Uh, maybe at some point you have heard uh, these five points referred to uh, by the acronym TULIP. TULIP. And kids, that could be because they come from the Netherlands. And the Netherlands not only makes really good cheese, but they're known for producing beautiful tulip flowers. So maybe if that helps, I suppose that's okay. But um, tulip, while it, while it talks about the five points, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, yeah, it, it is an acronym. But the canons aren't written in that order. <laughs> The canons are written in, uh, I guess what we would call old tip order, but that's not a word, so we don't use all tip. Um, in our series on the doctrines of grace, we're going to follow the canons order because there is, there is, there's reason to begin with the U, unconditional election. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, kids, you know what an election is. 
an election is when a choice is made. This past week in the mail, I got my uh, mail-in ballot for the California presidential primary, and I can put a check on there and make a choice. I make a choice on who I would like to see on the ballot in November. Election's about making a choice. So too, when we talk about election in salvation, it's about a choice being made of whom will be saved. And that choice is made by God. God makes the choice of who is saved. Look at verse 9 of our text. We, are, we, are, we hear about the gospel by the power of God, the power of God who, who saved us and who called us to a holy calling. God calls his people. God saves his people. He is the one who makes the choice of who will be saved. Again, from Article 7 in the Confession, election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world, he out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chose from the whole human race, which had fallen through their own fault, who would be saved? Election is about God's choice in salvation. God chooses who will be saved. But the Arminians, the Remonstrants, would agree with that. God chooses who will be saved. To understand the difference, we have to go perhaps a little bit deeper. We talked about that last time. Sometimes the surface problem doesn't really get at the problem. You have to go a little bit deeper. And we have to talk about, about when that choice was made for salvation. Our scripture says, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God called us, God chose us in Christ before the ages began. And I hope at this point your, your minds go to Ephesians chapter 1, that beautiful text about election where we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Kids, God chose who would be saved before you were even born. In fact, God chose who would be saved before the world was even born. Before the foundations of the world, God chose his own. You know, there's a real sense in which if we are asked, when were you saved? We can say, we were saved before God created anything. Because already then, he chose his own. Again, from Article 7 of the Confession, election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world, out of mere grace according to his sovereign pleasure, he chose from the human race. 
before the foundations of the world. Now, certainly, God manifests that choice in time. He manifests that choice in our lives when, by His Word and by His Spirit, we come to recognize what He has done. We recognize God's work in our lives. We recognize through the gift of faith that we embrace Jesus Christ. So while the choice is made in eternity, it manifests itself in time. In in our church, um, we refer to that as a profession of faith. When someone comes to, to embrace the truth of the gospel. When someone comes to embrace the promises made to them in Jesus Christ. But we don't say, that's the day you were saved. We say, that's the day you recognized the blessings of salvation. We have been chosen by God in eternity, which he manifests then in time. If it is the case that the choosing is done by God, it is done before we were born, it is done before the world was born, then we know it couldn't be up to us to make the choice. It must be up to the Father. He is the divine initiator in salvation. He is the one who does the choosing. And the Father chooses, and the Father calls, our text text says, and he calls those whom he wills. And then he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, in time to die for all of those whom he had chosen. We'll talk about more about the nature of Christ's death and the atonement when we get to that part of the canons. But for today, we notice that it is, it is Christ who is at work in, in saving the people whom God has chosen. Again, from the Confession, Article 7, this elect number, though by nature neither better nor more deserving than others, but with them involved in one common misery, God has decreed to give to Christ to be saved by Him and effectually to call and draw them to His communion by His Word and Spirit. God gives His chosen to Christ to be saved by Him in whom His Word and Spirit are active. Christ is the one who who accomplishes the work of our Father. Christ is the one who secures our salvation. Look at our our, our text, verse 10. This is done in Jesus Christ for the foundations of the world, in which now it has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ Jesus comes and he abolishes death And he brings immortality to light. He does away with our spiritual death, our eternal death. And we are found in him to have new life. The Holy Spirit breathes that new life into us. God, by his word and spirit, changes hearts, changes lives, brings us to life. We who were dead in transgressions and sins now know the life and the love of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Salvation is first and last from God, as he is the one 
who is at work. Why? Why did God choose to save some? Or to ask the question a different way. On what condition did God choose to save some? And here is where we find the disagreement between the remonstrance and the canons. Why or on what condition did God choose? They say God chose, but on what condition? Why did God choose? The remonstrance, the followers of Arminius, would say a lot of things we would agree with. They would say, God is sovereign. Oh, we agree. They would say, God is omniscient. He knows everything. We would agree. And, and they would say, since God knows everything, God can look down the corridor of time. And God, in His omniscience, looks into the future. And God sees who will believe in Him. And therefore, He elects them unto salvation. God sees who will believe. Therefore, He elects them unto salvation. It is an election based on the condition of foreseen faith. That's the position of the remonstrance. And it is that position which was answered from the Scriptures in the Canons. Article 9 in the Canons. This election is not founded upon foreseen faith and the obedience of faith, holiness, or any other good quality or disposition in man as a prerequisite cause or condition on which it depended. But men are chosen to faith and to the obedience of faith and holiness. Therefore, election is the fountain of every saving good from which proceeds faith, holiness, and the other gifts of salvation, and finally, eternal life itself. This election is not founded upon foreseen faith. God doesn't know who will believe, and therefore He elects them. There's a text you absolutely must know, a text you must memorize. It is from Acts chapter 13. If you are talking about unconditional election, and whether God looks down the corridor of time and He chooses those whom He knows will believe, we have to go to Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. When Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now notice verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. It is not that they believed, therefore God appointed them to eternal life. No, it is not an election based upon any condition. God appoints them, God elects them, and therefore they come to faith. Children, God elects us, God chooses us, just because He wants to. Not because of anything we have done, not because of anything we will do, not because of anything God knows about us in the future. God elects us simply because He chooses to elect us. His sovereign choice. Again, from Ephesians chapter 1, and again, this is one of those texts that I hope that when anyone says election, the first text that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 1. Kid, kids, election starts with E, and Ephesians starts with E, so you think about election in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Salvation is for God's purpose. It is done in His love, a demonstration of His grace, not because of anything we have done, not because of any goodness in us. Once again from the Confession, Article 10 in the Confession of, of Head of Doctrine 1, the good pleasure of God is the sole cause of this gracious election which does not consist herein that out of all possible qualities and actions of men, God has chosen some as a condition of salvation, but that he was pleased out of the common mass of sinners to adopt some certain persons as his peculiar people to himself. God was pleased out of the common mass of sinners to choose some for salvation. That's the glorious truth. God is the initiator of salvation. God is the accomplisher of salvation. All praise and honor and glory go to Him. And God calls out to us once again today. We hear that call of the gospel. This is the truth. God says, I have chosen my own, and He calls His own in time. He calls us once again today to put our faith, our hope, our trust in Him. Embrace this Jesus Christ. Embrace the promise. God has done everything necessary. You don't need to do anything. Simply by faith, receive this glorious gift which He has given. That's the beauty of election unto life. It's not that we have to do certain things. It's not that we have to earn anything. Christ has done it all. Christ has earned it all. Those whom the Father has given to the Son, the Son has made secure in their salvation. And that glorious work of salvation continues even today. This is the truth declared to us in, in God's Word, in Acts chapter 13, in Ephesians chapter 1, in our text this morning from 2 Timothy chapter, two, chapter 1. He saved us and He called us, not because of our works, 
but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is the good deposit entrusted to us. These are the good words we are to hold on to, that we might praise God, glorify God, rejoice in God what he has done, not that we have done anything to offer, but salvation first and last from him. This glorious truth we celebrate, this biblical truth we rejoice in, and God, God receives all the glory because of his work of election unto life. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, it is so easy for us to want to offer something to you for salvation, to want to take partial credit for our salvation, to want to somehow uh, put ourselves on the throne, but that would, oh God, dethrone you. No, we confess with the scriptures that salvation is first and last from you. You are the one who from eternity chose a people to be your very own. You gave those people to your son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit worked in their hearts to bring them to faith and to the knowledge of salvation. Thank you for this glorious work, O God. Thank you that we might know what you have done for us. Help us never to exalt ourselves, but only and always to exalt you. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to 385 in the Psalter hymnal. Number 385, "'Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. Twas sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none before thee. For thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. Let's sing both verses, 385. Let's stand together as we sing.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.